time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. This verse, and most of us, when you hear this verse, you're going to think of a song. And so don't spontaneously start singing. Just hear, just hear this. Just hear this verse as a verse, not as a song. Just don't think of it as a song for a minute. It's at, the song actually comes from the verse. And so just hear it as a verse. It goes like this. As the deer, verse 1, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Then the psalmist says, verse 2, my soul thirsts for God. My soul thirsts for God. Let me just hit that again. My soul thirsts or yearns or aches or longs or desires. My soul thirsts for God. So as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul, it's a confession. It's a statement of the condition of my heart. So my soul pants for you, my God. In fact, my soul thirsts. For the living God, for the God that's alive, for the God that's real, for the God that's working. When, when can I go and meet with God? Surely out of everything else I could be doing, there's one thing that far surpasses everything else. And that's what I want to know is when can I go, when can I go and meet with God? And I read this verse and it's just, it's interesting to me because this, this, this metaphor is kind of, kind of graphically came alive for me as I was reading this and thinking about this. And I don't have many experiences with deer. I'm not a hunter. I don't really actually have one. Actually, uh, I've started reading to my, my children uh, and then telling them stories before they go to bed. So currently I have a six-year-old named Dawson a five-year-old named Liv, a three-year-old named Adeline, and a one-year-old named Justice. And so my tradition is, is that it started off where I would read to them at night, but then what we found out is that daddy's a much better storyteller than he is reader. And so we gave reading to mom and dad became the storyteller, so I just make things up and everything works out wonderfully. So I, I, I tell my kids my stories and we went from telling them stories to actually telling stories from when I was a child. So I started, you know, telling them stories about when I was a little kid and I'd tell them stories about, yeah, when, when dad was four, he, he fell in a river and when dad was five, he was in a wedding and he was the ring bearer and he peed his pants and they think that's so funny. And they just, they, that's the one they want me to tell every night. Tell about when you peed in your pants. And so I end up telling that story over and over again about when I was five. And I made the mistake of telling them a story one time recently about when Renata and I hit a deer on I-25. And so we, it was, I, I, we hit the deer. It was an eight car pileup. We were fine, but the deer was not. And um, so it, it, was, it was a horrible moment. And, and I thought my children would possess some degree of compassion for Renata and I, but instead they were heartbroken and they said, you killed a deer? I mean, and then, and then they asked me if the deer had kids. <laughs> Relating kind of to Bambi, I guess. And they began to just be heartbroken. And I began to tell them, I'm okay. Everything's all right. And they began to ask about the deer and heaven. And if deers are in heaven. And, 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 and so I'm thinking about, about, you know, this verse right here. And I don't, I don't know what your experience is with deer. But that's, that's kind of the only deer I really have seen. I mean, right there, dead on the road. And when, when most of us hear this verse, if we're honest, we just think of something pretty. We think maybe of... Uh, you know, of a pretty painting, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. A pretty painting in the senior pastor's office, you know. A, a, a something, maybe, maybe a little painting in the bathroom or, you know, just kind of this cute little idea. Maybe, maybe you're familiar with the song and you've sung it. And, and let's just go ahead and sing that together, if you will, all right? So let's go ahead and sing this. As the deer. It's beautiful. Come on, sing it like you mean it. Keep going. I don't know. Come on. Come on. Give yourself a big hand. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Yeah. That, that was fantastic. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Did you notice how pretty that song is? I mean, that's one of the most pretty songs we've ever... We, I mean, that is a beautiful song. 
It's so pretty. It's as the deer pants for the water. So my, it's beautiful. But it's not, the, it's, the image of beautiful is not what the psalmist is going for here. A deer in the wild that's panting is not beautiful. If you can imagine a deer panting, it's thirsting for water. That's need, I mean, it's not, it's not, la, 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 la. It is, <laughs> it's not pretty. And so you may be able to sing the song in a beautiful way because now, a few thousand years later, we can turn, we've turned it into a nice little pretty song. And even when we get to Psalm 42, Psalm 42 to us means the pretty little song. But when the psalmist is writing it, he's going, okay, I'm sitting out here. And what is, what is desperate? What is yearning? These crazy deer that go, <laughs> that. That, they are, I mean, they're going to the water. They're yapping up, lapping up, yapping up. Which one's the word? I'm not limited by Webster. Lapping up, yapping, I don't know, whichever's the word. Drinking the water and, and they're thirsty. It's, I want, it's graphic. It's, it's, go ahead. I want you to stick your tongue out and just, just pant for me. Go ahead. It's biblical. <laughs> pant. Come on. Be a man. Be a woman. Pant, come on. Now, you've seen dogs that do it. That's, you don't know deer, but most of us have seen a dog pant. I want you to go ahead in your image, read movies of your mind of a dog panting. And I want you to pant. Look at the person next to you and give them your best pant. Let me see it. So in the psalmist, that's what he's talking about. When the psalmist is right again, he says, as the deer pants... Deer pants. <laughs> Justin, let's get those for next year. Deer pants. Brit. We should get deer pants. All right. as, the, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants. Soul pants. Now I'm messed up. The verb, not the noun. <laughs> my soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when there's an ache, this this yearning that's coming out, when can I go and when can I meet with God? I don't know about you, but when I read that, if I were to actually play out how we live, this most of the time is not burning within our hearts. In fact, if you look at most of us living in 2011 consumed with media, opportunity, all the things that we possess, a panting after desire to go meet with God is almost absent. It exists. But I want you to go ahead and make this about yourself, and I want you just to ask the question, is this true of you? Is this statement, is this confession, is this yearning, this desperate cry, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When, when, when? When can I go and just get away and be with God? When I look at history, there have been people that I think personify this confession. As I read and look at people in the Great Awakening and as I, as I, as I read and, and I listen, I, it is possible. I think that it's possible to live this way. I was, I, I, I was just looking at some quotes back years ago when, when we first started the furnace here, we started to have these quotes and we'd play these quotes uh, as our transitions and these quotes were coming to my mind. I want to read some of them to you because some of these guys just embody this. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China. He says, the sun has never risen upon China without finding me in prayer. Huh. I think in order to say, okay, God's called me to a foreign land and the sun has never risen without finding me on my face. It's a statement. I, I, I yearn, I ache, I'm, I long for, I, my soul pants for God. I, 
I, I love to be with him. John Wesley's one of my heroes. He's one of my heroes because of his theology, but he also was five foot three with a squeaky voice. And so I love his physiology as well, but give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. I care not a straw, whether they be clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on the earth. John Wesley. It's a great German nobleman named Count Zinzendorf. He said, I have but one passion. It is he, he only. One of John Wesley's friends in the Great Awakening, they actually went to college together at Oxford, a guy named George Whitfield. He said, give me a deep humility, a well-guided zeal, a burning love and a single eye, and then let men or devils do their worst. There's a, a lady who helped co-found the Salvation Army. Mary Warburton Booth, she said this, how we have prayed for a revival. We did not care whether it was old fashioned or not. I mean, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care about the methodologies. I just, I just care that we see his presence. What we asked for was that it should be such that would cleanse and revive his children and set them on fire to win others. Jonathan Edwards said, I will never do anything which I would be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. When you read these guys, you realize, I realize that there have been men and women, not only in the word of God, but throughout church history, that they have possessed spiritual hunger, that they have possessed desperation, yearning, desire. And sometimes for you and for me, it's easy to talk this way. And tonight, I just want to kind of talk about how on earth do we not just talk about it or sing about it or make it the banner of our conference? <laughs> call it that. I mean, imagine standing before God one day and saying, God, God, we did desperation. We named it that, but we weren't desperate. It'd be a horrible moment. I cringe when I think about that, God. If I did a thing called desperation, my heart wasn't desperate for God. And yet it's easy for us to make confessions and sing some songs and articulate some things. And yet if we're honest, it's not alive down in here. It's not, it's, it's not real. We come in here and we can say it. It's easy to say it. John was teaching you new songs tonight. And as you were learning the songs, it's easy for us to start singing them. And we want them to be true. But only you know what's really, really alive in here. As we sing this, I know you are a great God. This, I know you are a great God. And we're singing at the top of our lungs. This, I know you are great. Do we? Do we? When, you're, when, when I'm singing Yahweh, Yahweh, you're singing overwhelming my heart with your love. You're my all in all. You're overwhelming my heart with your love. And yet our brain is thinking about something else. It's easy to do. It's easy to have the confession. Awake my soul. Let the river flow. We were singing that spontaneous prophetic song tonight. Awake my soul. Awake it. Awake my soul. Tonight, I'm going to ask God, God, would you awake our souls? I, I want it to be the confession of my lips and song. But more so, we want it to be the confession of our lives. Awaken our hearts. It's so easy to sing these songs. A.W. Tozer says, Christians don't tell lies, they go to church and sing them. It's so easy for us to just do church. So the question arises, all right, if we want it to be more than a song, more than a song we sing, more than a vow we take, how? 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 How do I get it alive in my heart? How when I'm singing, he's great, 
when I'm declaring this I know, you are a great God. How do you, not John Egan, you, how do you get that alive in your heart? Is it just, do we repeat it enough to where we can, we've got it memorized and then we sing it with more passion? How? Tonight, I think, I think I can give you one secret to your heart being renewed to where that thing that maybe it's lived in your heart in the past, how do you get it alive today? Paul tells us in Colossians 3.10, it says, we are renewed in the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God, knowing, studying, talking about, experiencing. We are renewed. There's a sense of renewal. Knowledge of God. When there's God in our eyes, our mind, on our lips, what we talk about. And for you and for me, sometimes it's easy for us to have a small view of God. We don't mean to, but we're so familiar with God. We're familiar with uh, preachers on the television. We're familiar with going to church. We're familiar with Christian t-shirts. We're familiar with Christian bumper stickers. We're familiar with preaching vegetables. We're just familiar with, we're just familiar with it. Grown up with it, many of you have come from church backgrounds. So it's just part of your, it's just, it's just part of your experience. Tonight, we want to try to fix our eyes, lock in on just who is this God anyway. Just how excellent. When we're singing this, I know you're a great God. How great. How awesome. How excellent. If you look in the scriptures, Abram became Abraham in Genesis 17. Let me just start here. It says, when Abraham, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. That's a good day. Just to start there. When you're that old and God appears to you, rock on, Larry boy. I mean, that's a sweet moment because that's cool. But when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm God almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham's going, sweet. I don't have kids. I'm really old. And God just appeared to me and made the rockinest, rockinest, the rock, a cool promise. <laughs> and at that moment, Abraham, Abram bowed his head, folded his hands, and repeated, no. Abram fell face down. <laughs> I mean, right there, God talking to me, Abraham's response is not, thank you. Abram's response is not, bless you. Abram's response is not, shall we sing? Abram's response is not, check off the bucket list. It's, holy smokes, face down. I mean, nose on the carpet, or if they didn't have carpet, whatever. The the dirt, the grass, I don't know what. But Abram, face down before God is Abram's response. When in the presence of God, goes straight down. Moses, similar thing, Exodus chapter three, verse one. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham. That was formerly Abram. That was the last guy. The God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses smiled. No, at this, Moses danced. No, 
At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. (laughs) Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, is one of my favorites. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, this is John's favorite. I think I have this memorized in John Egan's voice. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah cried, What's up? No. Isaiah goes, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. Me, my ambitions, who I am, what I think I'm about, all that I've got, my stuff, all that I've got, my, uh, me. I am small, I am small, but my God is big old tall. God is bigger. He goes, woe is me, holy smokes. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. We find this over and over again, this sense of, wow. Face down, Abram, Moses. How can I hide my face? Isaiah. Woe is me. It's this undone. When I behold him, when I see him, there's a marvel, there's a wonder, there's an awe. But God is big. He's bigger than you think. He's bigger than you think. He's bigger than the cliche answers. He's bigger than the little cliche concepts that sometimes we like to create. And everybody likes to discuss and bring their idea to the table. He's bigger. He's more awesome. He's far bigger. He's far bigger than your ideas. Well, David, I'm in 10th grade now. I'm pretty smart. No, he's bigger than your ideas. Well, David, I'm 19 and I like got double digits on my ACT. And so I'm really smart. And I, I, I know about God. No, he's bigger than you. He's bigger than your thoughts. Whatever thoughts you can comprehend about God, he's infinitely more. He's far bigger. He's far more massive. He's far more than you could comprehend. And sometimes when we get close and we think, all right, because I'm friends with God and I'm close with God, it's easy to lose the concept of how awesome and how majestic and how glorious he really is. I like to look at John the beloved. John was the disciple of Jesus and John got to be really close to Jesus. John and Jesus were really good friends. In fact, when we read in Luke chapter 8, It's a great story where Jesus goes in and he actually raises a little girl from the dead. It's Jairus' daughter. And when he goes into the house, it's it's intriguing because the people laugh at him when he says he's going to raise her from the dead. And and people mock him. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to go do this. And he takes three people with him. It's Peter, James, and John. So John goes in and John actually gets to see Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. Jesus only takes three people. There's three special people that he takes with him. It's Peter, James, and John. John's there. He's, he's, he, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's, it actually says that the Peter, James, John, he's got the parents there, the little girl, and you're John, you're with Jesus. Jesus likes you. Jesus selects you to be one of the three. You go in and there's a jaw dropping moment where you're like, wow, I saw Jesus raise the dead. I'm close to Jesus. Happens again in Matthew 17. Matthew 17, Mount of Transfiguration. It's a powerful moment because Jesus is about to embrace the cross. And right there in Matthew 17, Elijah and Moses come down and they visit Jesus. You know the story. It's the moment where, uh, where, where, where Peter and James and John get to go up and they get to see Moses and Elijah with Jesus. And that's a moment where young Israelite boys who have grown up knowing the Old Testament, knowing their history, they go, uh, Moses and Elijah just showed up. This is cool. There with Jesus. I'm here. Hey, we got the VIP treatment. We're with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. John's there. John's there when the little girl's raised from the dead. John's there when, when Elijah and Moses come and hang out with Jesus for a night. John's, John's actually, what we read in John 13 is that 
that, that John is actually sitting next to Jesus at the Passover feast. Now, the famous one. Now, you've been taking communion for years, but this is the big one. This is the one where Jesus is the lamb that's going to be crucified. And so there is no lamb around the table. Jesus is the lamb. And the Passover feast changes right there because there's no lamb. There's always been a lamb up to that point. But now there is no lamb because Jesus is the lamb. And Jesus is sitting there. It's the famous moment we read about in John 14, 15, and 16 where Jesus talks back and forth with his disciples. That's the moment. And it's where Jesus talks and tells them who he is. And he says, he, he, all the, all, 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 just the, the, the big moment before he embraces the cross. And who's the guy that's sitting next to him? It's John. And Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And one, one, one person who's whispering in Jesus' ear, who's it going to be? It's John. John's close to him. John's his friend. John and Jesus are close. Jairus' daughter gets raised from the dead, Mount of Transfiguration. In fact, even if you look at the crucifixion moment where Jesus dies on the cross, there he is, he's dying on the cross. He's got literally the, literally the sin of the world on him. I mean, he is, Jesus is embracing the cross. He's suffering, he's in agony. And we read about how Jesus actually talks to John while he's on the cross. And he entrusts his mom to John's care. So, so Jesus is talking to John on the cross. And Mary goes to live actually with John and John takes care of Jesus' mother. You can just look at the life of Jesus. When you just study the gospels, there's a really close friendship relationship between John and Jesus. Yet there's an intriguing moment Jesus dies on the cross then, then he, three days later, he raises from the dead and then he ascends into heaven. And, and then we have what's called the book of Revelation and that's where John, he's an old man, he's living on the island of Patmos, he's exiled there. And Jesus comes and talks to him. So you gotta imagine this is, this is, this is his friend. This is the one that he sat next to at the Passover. This is the one that he, Watched Jesus raise the little girl from the dead. He hung out with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus talked to him from the cross. This is his bud. This is his friend. Jesus appears to John, Revelation 117. You know what? Let me just back up. Let me just read a few more verses. Verse 11. That's kind of fun. We'll start there. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like a flaming fire. His feet were like that of fine bronze as if refined in the furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth was a sharp two-edged sword. <laughs> and, he, and his countenance was like that of the sun shining in all its strength. And when I saw him, I said, what's up, G? Remember me? So what's up? No. When I, John, his friend, John, the one that talked to him at the Passover, when I, John, the one that hung out with him on the Mount Transfiguration, the one that was really close to him, I took care of his mom, he talked to me on the cross. When I, the one who was very familiar with him, very close personal friend, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. <laughs> I fell over like a dead man. <laughs> I don't fully know what it means for the presence of God to be so strong this weekend that we see him and we fall over face down, but I want it. I don't know what it means fully for Jesus to so reveal himself to you that you fall over as though dead, but I ache for it. 
I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I don't have a clue. I don't know. I have no clue. Last month, we had our, our youth pastor prayer summit. One of the youth pastors was weeping. He came up to me and he said, I left my mark on your church. I said, what are you talking about? I thought he was like, I, I had no clue. I thought he was talking about some anointing he had or something. And he said, it's a pool of tears right over there on your carpet. He said, I made my mark on your church. And I had the thought, man, I hope we all, I hope all of you make a mark on this church. I hope, I hope that you see God, encounter God, encounter his presence, behold him in a way that far surpasses something trite, something cute. I hope that that God so touches you. I hope that you see him. I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to so touch you. You see God. I'm not talking about your parents. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about, about, about the, the, the little picture Bible book that you grew up with. I'm not talking about some cliche concept. I'm talking you, you put your name in there. You encountering God to a degree that you fall on your face and brokenness and say, woe is me. I'm, I, I, I don't have anything compared to the surpassing greatness of God. Whoa, 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 whoa. When I see God, I go, oh, you're, you're far bigger than I could have ever imagined. I can't even comprehend how big you are. The problem is, is that we are so comfortable. We're so used to who we think God is that we put God in this little idea. And he's far bigger than that idea. He's far more than we could have fathomed. He's far grander. The Biggest reason why our generation, why we do not possess fascination and desperation and desire for God is that we have a low view of God. We have a low view. We have this small perception. We don't think about him. We don't talk about him. We don't, I mean, it's, it's, it, we, we put him in the side category of our lives. But you want to get a passion like Psalm 42, or these that have led revivals and awakenings, meditate on the excellence of God. You'll be transformed into his image and you'll watch your desire for God. It is possible to possess desire for God. I know, I know people come back and they say, oh, let's not talk too much about passion. Passion's a little bit scary. Passion comes and goes. I've been hearing that since I was 13 years old. 13. I'll tell you this. I have seen 75-year-olds that possess a passion for God. It's possible. If you're looking for permission to give your heart wholehearted. To be passionate is possible. There are men and women, the scriptures throughout history, probably in your church, that when you talk to them, the fire of God exists in their heart. They love him. How? How? You know how you're renewed. You meet with him. You meditate on his character, on who he is. You spend time with him. And you'll watch your passion start to grow. I know, I know most of the time we think, I just want, I want one experience. That's the temptation. I want one experience. So I'm going to open up my heart. And at this one moment, something's going to happen. And I love moments where God does stuff and they do. God touches people. But it doesn't just have to be one moment. Your heart can expand like a crescendo where you grow in, more in love with God as weeks turn into months and years. And the way is to come and meet with God, just like Psalm 42, and just meet with him. As you meditate on him, your view of God will expand. As you study the scriptures, as you pray, your perception of how awesome God is will grow. So tonight, I just want to take a few minutes and do it. More than just saying, you do it, you meditate, we're going to meditate for a few minutes. So here we go. You ready? Ready? On the excellencies of God. Number one, God is creator. God is creator. He created out of nothing. He created everything. 
So just, just think about that for a minute. Just meditate. Let your brain try to wrap around the idea that God out of nothing creates everything. God is creator. Just to kind of show the difference between you and God, go ahead and in your seat, go ahead and create something right now. Go ahead. Just create something out of nothing. Let's see it. Go ahead. There you go. Okay. All right. What do we got? Got anything? Hmm, I don't see anything. I'm so, oh, one guy just spat on someone and said, I created a loogie. No, that was already, God already did that. He's already created your spit. All right. You didn't make that. All right. You, no, you can't. God. God. Creator. He created all things. He created everything. My favorite, my favorite verses that kind of unfold God as creator is found in Job 26. I know we normally always just talk about Genesis 1 and 2, but just look at just Job 26. This is fun. Verse, verse 7. Speaking of God here, it says, He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake aghast at his rebuke. This is this by his power he turned up the sea. By his wisdom he cut Rahab to pieces by his breath. The skies became fair. His hand pierced the gliding serpent. And these are but the fringe of his works how faint the whisper we hear of him who then can understand the thunder of his power <laughs> job says he created the heavens and the earth and it was just a mere whisper it's just a whisper it wasn't like god was over there struggling how, uh, you know flexing his muscles trying to create mount everest it wasn't like God was, that it took exerting effort that was hard for him. When we look at creation, we see but a mere whisper. It's just the beginning. It's just a whisper. It's just a, it's a heavens and the earth. He creates. It's so easy for him. It's just, let's create something beautiful. and doesn't even have to exert effort. It's just boom, Colorado. There it is. Mountains are majestic before. And he says, let's create superior athletes. Boom, Oklahoma. It's powerful. (laughs) And he says, let's create a really difficult place to live. Pow, Texas. Just kidding. Just kidding. Sorry. Sorry. I'm just kidding. I know. I'm just kidding. All right. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. All right. Sorry. I'm, I'm being abusive here. I'm just kidding. All right. I'm just joking. It's easy. It's easy. When we look at creation, we see but the mere edges, the mere fringe. It's so easy for him. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have, they have no speech. They, have, they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the, earth, into the, ends of the world. When you look at creation, you see God, God created God is love. It's amazing how all of us are so tempted to try to find love in a secondary way and not find it in the depth of the one who loved us first. First John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. And when you read in first John, it says that God is love. He is love. So when you're searching, please, somebody love me. And you're going through all the, all the search and all the yearning. And there's these these. From whatever, whatever form you're trying to get love from. Far bigger, far better, far more complete, far more holistic, far more empowering, far more true. is God's love. He is love. Out of the overflow of love, God created. Created you and me. He didn't create us because he needed us. He created us because he loves us. He didn't create out of a need. He created out of the overflow of love. And God is love. God's creator. God is love. God is holy. God is infinitely unique. So imagine, most of us, we just think holy, holy. And we just think not bad, not bad, not bad. And he is not bad, not bad. He is good, 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 good. But he is also infinitely unique. So other than our peewee brains could not comprehend his majesty. He is holy. He is so much bigger, different, unique. 
than you could, than I could ever, ever imagine. Sometimes you hear that and you think God is holy and God wants me to be holy. And that sounds scary to you. And you kind of think, man, maybe, maybe it's because he's a mean God and, and, and he doesn't want me to engage in fun things. But really, when the holy God invites you to be holy like he is holy, he's actually inviting you into a far better way of living on planet earth. When you say, I want to be like you, God, and I want the Holy Spirit to come inside of me and make me holy. And I want to, I want to live differently than all of the feastings that the world has for you to engage in sin, which crush your heart and destroy you. And sin will destroy you. The role of the enemy, the goal of the enemy, the vision of the enemy is to crush you through sin. Some of you think, oh, I'll flirt with sin, yeah, whatever. I know of some people that have gotten away with it. Sin will crush you. You don't want to flirt with it. You want to stay as far away from it as possible. That's your aim. And you think, well, maybe, maybe God, you know, just, just doesn't want me to, you know, have fun. No, listen. The pursuit of God, God has the pursuit of God in righteousness and holiness far surpasses, far surpasses the sin of this world. And God doesn't want you to not engage in those things because he doesn't want you to have fun. He actually wants you to have the good life with him. I had a friend in college who uh, is engaged and during their engagement, he found out that his fiance had cancer. And so prior to their wedding day, was supposed to be their wedding day, he ended up at a funeral for the one that he loves. I remember sitting at a coffee shop my senior year of college, talking with this guy. And he was talking about a local high school that was doing a cancer drive. And he was, this guy who was, he was a theology major. He was very kind of a sweet countenance, nice guy. And he turned into this like ticked off dude. Like he was just, he was just, I mean, ferocious. As he talked about the need to raise money to help people with cancer. And you know, when I look at his story, he, he wants to destroy, he wants to get rid of cancer. He wants the cancer, he wants cancer to be blotted out from the planet. He hates cancer because that, that thing was the thing that destroyed his bride, that took her life. And so the once smiley friend turned into a strong, opinionated man because he wanted to crush the thing that crushed the one that he loved. He wanted to destroy the thing that destroyed her. He wanted to blot it out. He wanted to get rid of it. And your father who says, come, be holy as I am holy. He's not looking at you saying, I don't want you to have fun. He wants to destroy the thing that will destroy you. He wants to crush the thing that will crush you. The enemy's out to destroy you, 1 John 3. It's his goal. How does he do it? Through sin. The holy God offers an invitation to live a different life, to step into his kingdom, to follow him as your king, to surrender your knee, to fall face down before him and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and you're my God. You're my king. He's holy. God is infinitely wise. Sometimes it's so easy for us to look at what, how we see history taking place. You look at your own life and you feel like, why am I going through what I'm going through? Why is there this difficulty in my family? Why is there this fighting among my parents? Why did this happen to my friend? 
Why was this person abused? Why do I experience this? Why? And in that, almost to be arrogant enough for us to have an accusation towards God and say, you know what? Forget it. I can't understand. Therefore, I'm going to check out. And what you're saying in that moment is, I'm smarter than you. Smarter than you. Friends, one day when we stand before God, when we stand before God, we will not say, I would have done things differently. No. One day we'll look and we'll see he created the heavens and the earth. We'll see that he created us to reciprocate love back to him. We'll see that the enemy was trying to destroy us, but he was wooing us toward him to walk in love with him. And we'll see how it all plays out and we'll go, ha, you're smart. God, go, thank you. Go, no, 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 God, you're really, really brilliant. Thank you, kid. No, no, God, like, I, How did you know? I know all things. I, yeah, but I, I, you know, remember when I was like five foot four on planet earth and trying to figure things out on my own? I, I couldn't understand. He goes, I know you're a peewee brain. I'm God. What? Yeah, but God, I read some books and hmm. no, you will stand before him. And the degree that you can imagine wisdom, imagine in your head, wisdom, his infinitely more wise than that to the greatest measure that you could fathom wisdom he's yet infinitely more he's infinitely more wise than you could ever fathom and the good news oh he's creator he's love he's holy he's wise and he's unchanging (laughs) the God who was love back then the God who these guys fell face down, the God who creates, the God who sends his son in love. He's unchanging. He is that awesome, that spectacular, that amazing right now and forever, forever and ever and ever. You wanna know how to renew your heart in God? What we're doing right now, this is called worship. It's a little bit different. It's not, it's not the D band up here jamming. But it's meditating on God. You are wise. God, you are holy. God, you are love. God, you never change. And if you just, even if you just do the ones we just did, you'll watch your heart in time expand, your love for God increase, and the things of this world grow strangely dim because your eyes are fixed on God. And it's, you come before God and you do this over and over again, you'll watch. Passion is possible. Longing, when can I go and meet with God, is available. Oh, it's possible, but it means getting away and doing it. Getting alone with God and saying, God, God, you are holy and you are faithful and you are true. And God, you are good. And God, I can't understand exactly this right now, but I say that you are wise. And even when my brain can't understand, I say that you've got this figured out and you're omniscient. You know all things and you're omnipotent and you possess all power. You are awesome and you are true. And though all these lies are all around me and though the enemy is the father of lies, you are the father of truth and you are the way. You are the truth and you are life and you are good and you reign and you start doing that let that get alive in your heart you watch you will possess hunger for God you will become the kid in the youth group that thinks God is so awesome it will happen it's possible it's possible and rather than mocking that kid and thinking you're so cool you'll become the guy the the woman that lives for something bigger than yourself Something bigger than your own, your own little journey. No, it's about him and his journey. And I get to be invited into it. And holy caboose is Cornelius. This is awesome. This, this, is, this is what my life's about. And people come up to you and they say, what, what's with you? What's, why are you so into God? I mean, what's your deal? What's your God more than any other? And you say, because you've meditated, because you know him, because it's real, not a theory, 
Not because it's something that you've memorized from what your parents say, but because you've spent time with him and you know him and you walk with him. You've got a rebuttal alive in your heart. Oh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you who he is. You want to know who my God is above every other? I'll tell you. He's brilliant. He's infinitely wise. He is love. He sent his son to die for me. And he loves me. And he loves you. And he's coming back. He's infinite love. Oh, and his word is true. And it's alive in my heart. I carry it around with me in Bible form, in paper form, but I carry it around in my heart too. You want to know who is my God above any other? Oh, he's compassion. He's compassion for the broken. He's, 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 he's the hope for the hurting. And the Holy Spirit, God, he's working inside of me. And Jesus came to planet earth and the Holy Spirit came. Jesus sent the Spirit. And the Spirit's alive and well. And he's alive inside of me. And, oh, whatever good things I did before now. Whatever good life I possessed. Whatever achievements I had. They don't even come close to the surpassing greatness of knowing God. They don't even come close. Yeah, but dude, before you were into this God thing, you were really good at being the vice president of German club and you, you gave that up, I know. Yeah, but you were really good at this and really good at this and you were so good at that. And yeah, No, the, all those things are fine. Those things are good, but let me tell you what far surpasses them all. I know him. I walk with him. I love him. I desire him. There's language on your tongue because you know God. Because you walk with him. Because it's alive in your heart. And my desire is not that we would come here. Get excited. And have the excitement be more about the big room, the lights, band, t-shirts, tents. But that we would come here and we would legitimately have an encounter with the living God over the next three days. And that we would walk out of here with the commitment that I will behold him. I will look at God. I will gaze upon God. You stand with me. And if you're willing, Johnny, if you want to come on up. If you're willing and you desire to have an encounter with the living God these three days. And you want to see him. You want to behold him. You want to, with the eyes of your heart, you want to see God. I want to invite you to come up here, get face down. I want you to make your dent on our church. I want you to leave your mark at New Life Church this week. Get your face down, dig your nose into the rug. And let's ask God to reveal himself to us. Let's come before him, not desperation in name, but desperation in reality. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.